Hello, and welcome to The Witch Source. I'm Whitney. I'm Courtney. And I'm Phoenix Rose. And we are talking today about grimoires and Book of Shadows. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I know this is something that you wanted to talk about for a long time. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, um, to start off, let's just state out there that um, a lot of things were taught word of mouth. And so, as far mm -hmm. as finding old grimoires or Book of Shadows, they're difficult to be found because everything was word of mouth. Um, but we have done our best to find what we can find and share what we can share. And then we will come back to around um, a conversation on the word of mouth and the traditional of uh, traditionally how magic has been passed down. But some of the oldest uh, writings and textbooks per se um, come from the Egyptian culture. So there are um, books and, and writings that the Egyptians used amulets and such, and they, those date back to the fourth millennia BC. And some magical books were found from the late uh, third millennium BC up until the fifth century CE. So thousands of years old, and they also really had a big emphasis on um, secrecy. So even the Egyptians were very secret about what they kept um, and the information they had. But the books that were found often had things like laws, hymns, rituals, uh, information on training priests and priestesses, uh, their information on their deities. They also included astrology, uh, geography, medicine, talking to the dead, spells, uh, invocations of deities, doll magic, which I think we would associate today with kind of poppet magic, and uh, cosmology. So, but what the Egyptians did, since they were such a central hub and they had several different cultures that would come through, they would also nitpick and pull from the many different cultures that would shuffle through their area because it was such a huge populated area um, and had a, a lot of travelers come through. So they did their own um, appropriation, I guess you could say, in their, in their own way and recorded it even back then. So, um, and then about the first century AD, many of these books were destroyed and especially if these books contain anything regarding divination or prophecy, because it made people nervous and they didn't like it. <laughs> they didn't want people knowing and being able to predict or define the future. Right. Now, of course, there would be, you know, the ceremonies and mummification in these books of, in these grimoires also, huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, rites of passage, spells to get them to the afterlife. And, um, you know, the, the tombs were filled with, you know, all the things that they would need to be able to make the passage through and, and gain entry to the other side and uh, a lot of sacred things. And their medicine, even their medicine was very much mixed with, you know, their magical spiritual beliefs. It wasn't just modern medicine like we think about it today there wasn't so much a separation um it was all very blended and also kept very secret right so then you have the crusades and when the crusades took place they started to discover arabic and muslim magic and these kinds of texts that were written down along with spanish magic and so then we started to see in Europe a blending of those along with Roman and Greek magical books and texts. Um, and all of those often had very um, heavy Egyptian influence as well, with Egyptian being some of the oldest recording ones that people could put their hands on. So all of that eventually mixed and mingled right. and made its way to Europe. And it got also blended with the uh, German and Celtic cultures. So, and then you have early Christians and they also have their own mix of Jewish and Muslim magic as well. 
Um, and that still lives on today. They have, um, you know, their forms of magic and how they work it and they have their, their textbooks. So a lot of the stuff that ended up making its way to Europe and some of these textbooks that we ended up with have a big collaboration of all of these pieces and all of these mixings and all of these cultures. And then you had people that started these secret societies um, to pass along this magic. And that's when we started to see some of these textbooks come about, but it was still very much secret and word of mouth because if somebody had the textbook, they didn't want to lose the textbook and they didn't really want to share the textbooks that they had gotten their hands on. So, you know, it went back to word of mouth, things not being written down so much. Right. Um, or these books only being passed down in families and stuff like that. And that's right. where you get a lot of these. I was a born witch because they have a family grimoire. Or they have a family history of this sort. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and people started to kind of shy away from, you know, recording these things. And if you were lucky to have a book, it was kept highly secret. It was not shared. It was not known. So um, I did come across two known fifth, um, 15th century manual uh, manuscripts on magical, I guess, magical books, but they're more or less manuscripts. So one old one that's known, um, it doesn't actually have a title. It's just, um, it's a magical book on running a household and it comes from, I'm going to try not to slaughter this, <laughs> Wolfstern Castle in the Tyrol. So just in case anybody wants to try to look this up and find more on it, it is W-O-L-F-S-T-H-U-R-N Castle in the Tyrol, T-Y-O-R-L. And it deals a lot with natural magic. So working with the elements, planting, healing, um, but it really was how to incorporate um, elemental magic with running a household. So that's one old manuscript that has survived. Um, another manuscript that has survived is in Munich and it apparently is very sinister <laughs> and contains a bunch of uh, nasty conjurings that uh, historians believe were actually written by underground clergymen. And the thought process is that these writings were discovered and it was kind of the start of the Inquisition of not only witches, but books, because they then started to search and seek out books to put on trial, as well as witches. So books were being burned at that time, just as much as witches were being burned. That's interesting. Right, right. So it wasn't just, let's get rid of, you know, these people who have these things and are practicing, but let's get rid of all this material, which is why we don't have very much surviving material at this point either. Um, and there was one uh, mention of a woman. So in the 17th century, there's a, men a mention of a woman. Her name is uh, Laura Malipero. It's M-A-L-I-P-E-R-O. And um, it was during the Inquisition that they found her with a copy of the Key of Solomon. Mm, yeah. What happened was they also found where she was handwriting the spells in another book um, and copying these Keys of Solomon over. So that started the idea of, okay, not only are these, these books, such as the Key of Solomon, out there, but now they're being copied. See, prior to that, you know, a lot of people were not able to read and write. Right. So, again, you go back to the word of mouth being the way that information was passed. Right. But then you reach and a I, time I, where it's becoming more, reading and writing is becoming more known and something that people do. And then there was this fear of, okay, now this stuff is 
even more accessible and able to be copied and written and shared. Right. right. And, and that's kind of, you know, what I'd found in my research um, was that, you know, way back when reading and writing was pretty much reserved for nobility, you know, or the clergy. Um, and a lot of times it was the clergy that were copying and writing books, mainly being the Bible. Right. Um, so, you know, pretty much your tradition had to be an oral tradition and, you know, widespread or reading, reading, really reading and writing really didn't become more widespread until, uh, you know, the Gutenberg press and people, they were able to start mass produce, mass producing the Bible and, you know, distributing that to the people. And that spread about, and even though it was expensive, you know, it's still pretty expensive to get your hands oh, yeah. on one, but. Yeah, to be able to print but, Right, exactly. So, um, but that brings about my favorite saying, because when it comes to grimoires, Book of Shadows, or anything else, you're all about keeping one where, what is my philosophy? Do you know it? Do you remember you burn tomorrow. Yep. Don't write today. What get what could get you burnt tomorrow? <laughs> so I mean that was kind of the philosophy back then as well. Right, right. True. Very true. So I mean you really wouldn't want to be caught. I mean, especially the the height of the Inquisition. Would you right. really want to be caught with any type of manuscript? <laughs> and that, those were some scary times. <laughs> Well, and from what I'm what I from what I was finding, this particular instance where they found this woman with this Kia Solomon, and she was copying this information down for herself, um, she was copying it down in a black book, and so um, it's that kind of started this idea that your book of shadows has to be a black book. Um, and that's not necessarily true. Like the more research you do into magical books, it can be any color. There is no right or wrong. It started with this inquisition and they started saying, okay, this witch is writing this in a black book. So we need to start looking for black books with these handwritten spells in it. And we need to know what to call this thing. So they decided to call this thing a grimoire. So it wasn't really until right. the position that it was given this, you know, copying of spells, this book, this supposed black book that would contain these magical writings. <clears throat> it didn't really come, that thought didn't really come around until the Inquisition. And then what also happened is we started to have, as they're trying to come up with ways to find witches and persecute witches, um, they, they needed terms. They needed an understanding of things that they didn't have an understanding of. So they started to come up with terms and phrases. And that's where we today still have a lot of our witchy terminology comes from that. So things right. like more uh, familiar that came out of the Inquisition. Warlock was something that came out of the Inquisition. Um, so some of the terms have, uh, you know, over time started to fall out of favor. But then for some witches, it was like, okay, well, we didn't have this vocabulary before. You know, we didn't have particular names for these things before, but now you've given it to us and okay, we kind of like it. We're going to keep using it. <laughs> right. So some of them did survive. Well, in, your, in your research, was it, um, was it the inquisitioners who were giving these things names or was it those being accused, you know, because in order to get out of trouble, sometimes they would name other people, you know, mm -hmm. hoping for a less, less harsh of punishment. You know, was it one of those? Well, I saw Betty down the street and she had a familiar. And then they're like, oh, what is this familiar you speak of? So, think, you know, I think it was a blending, actually. Yes, that's a good point. I think it was a blending because I actually read at some point that the word Sabbath, like we uh -huh. use today in the Wheel of the Year, actually came out of somebody being uh, tortured and they said they had attended a Sabbath. Um, and so that's where that phrase came 
came from. Um, so I definitely think it's a blending. You know, I think that they were coming up with, you know, ways to be able to identify and, and having terminology um, for what they were searching for. But yeah, definitely, I think in a hope to end the torture that was happening, yeah, they'll say anything. They'll come up with anything. So definitely a blending. I, I would definitely agree with that for sure. I can see that. So, and it's like how so many of these know? people were really witches that were being tortured and right. you know, like you said, yeah. words that they were being, you know, they were throwing anything out there. <laughs> exactly. They were doing anything, you know, probably I think a large majority of them were not witches or not what we consider witches today. You know, some of them were just simple midwives or, or herbalists. Right. And, you know, they were getting accused as well. And, um, but yeah, it, I think it was anything to try to make it end. So, but that's where a lot of, of the words and the terms and I think come from. Um, what did you find, uh, Courtney on, on grimoire? Cause I think it has a tie in here. All right. Well, um, so We had a cat. Sorry, we had a cat fest there for a second. <laughs> All right. So um, we've got, I've got that. Um, so the definition of grimoire is that it is a spell book that contains symbols, incantations, charms, and instructions for invocations and the making of amulets. Mm -hmm. So um, I have the, the, term grimoire originates from the French word, like I said, grimoire, grimaire, it's a French word, however you pronounce that, uh, which means, which means a book of, a book written in Latin. Um, and it was in the 18th century, which is around the time of the Inquisition, that uh, the word grimoire became, came to be associated with the book of magic, with books of magic. So, you explain the process of how that came to be. So that that's that's neat knowing that you found that out. Uh, many grimoires are from the uh, from the medieval period onward, were the records of rituals, experiments, and discoveries, and uh, even from. If any of y'all have animals, you know you know the pain over here. You're trying to do something, and your animals just want to go crazy on you. Um, <laughs> For once, mine are behind right. it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Normally we have Rose's cats in the background saying hello. <laughs> um, but uh, so pretty much from the medieval period onward, uh, grimoires were records of rituals, experiments, and discoveries uh, by individuals like John Dee. John Dee was, you know, a very popular uh, magician, scientist uh, from right. the Elizabethan period. Um, and these people did experiments to find a common ground between science, religion, and magic. Right. So there, there was a lot of the intertwining, trying to find the commonality and, you know, while they would write it down, you know, it was still really dangerous at that point in time, you know, because you, you didn't want to step too far over the lines uh, to be, termed a witch right right um, by staying on the scientific quote scientific side of things you're a little bit safer <laughs> right correct right um but then on uh the definition that i found on book of shadows is that it is a book containing religious texts and instructions for magical magical rituals found within the neo-pagan religion of Wicca, which was founded by Gerald Gardner, and it should be noted that Gerald Gardner created the first Book of Shadows, which was used in his Bricket Wood Coven and all covens that he founded. Uh, since its conception in the 1940s, it has made its way into pagan practices and paths. Uh, early practitioners of Wicca would organize themselves into covens and share a communal book of shadows. 
And this Book of Shadows would contain the coven spells and rituals, but um, most Wiccans today tend to find themselves as solitary practitioners. And so they, they've pretty much said, you know, that they've encouraged every witch to keep her own or their own, not her, but their own Book of Shadows. Um, so then, you know, trying to find the commonality or differences between the two um, is that a grimoire is pretty much general knowledge um, in that it's a book holding information that all witches can use and that, that it can be passed down and used by any witch. Whereas a book of shadows, however, is a shadow of its owner dealing with its, per with its owner's personal path, beliefs, spells, and rituals and is not to be shared with anyone unless they consent to it. Um, and then kind of touching on some of the information that you um, had discussed on ancient texts, some uh, what historians consider, you know, old uh, grimoires that were popular for their day. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The first one is the sixth and seventh book of Moses. Uh, that was considered a grimoire and it was first circulated in the 18th century. It spread from Germany to America. And then the interesting thing is that it's uh, it's the founding texts for Ra Rastafarianism and other yeah. movements in West Africa. That's so, I mean, I, right, I was not aware of that. And I'm kind of wanting to look up the sixth and seventh book of Moses to find out what's going on there. Um, right. Well, and I have on that, that Noah learned how to make the ark from this book that was given to Adam by the angel Raziel. And oh, so, wow. Oh, yeah. well, Raphael, Rastafarianism. I, I can see that now. Yeah. And that, that, that it actually stayed on the ark, um, with him. And then it was later in the 13th century translated, um, uh, let's see, uh, emerged in the 13th century, the translation attributed to Eleazar of Worms. And by the 15th century, there were several kinds of magical books floating around Europe that mostly included magical beliefs and practices from that, that book. So then people took it oh, wow. and started to branch off of it. Mm branch off from that. That's cool. Um, so then the, the other one I found was the clavicle of Solomon or the key of Solomon. Um, and it is considered to be the granddaddy of grimoires uh, being written by King Solomon and having it. I mean, it was well established since biblical times, but it was still extremely popular in the 15th century among scientists and clergy. So I think that kind of ties in with what you had said about manuscripts being found by clergy members and, you know, grimoires. So that, that, that was neat, seeing the ties in together. Yeah, um, and you can actually still find the Key of Solomon. I mean, it's still, you can still find it in print. Um, it's, it's very intricate. <laughs> There's a lot of um, keys there, and um, a lot of it is, you know, in different, you you use it, it's in a different language. So then when you're oh, wow. speaking and you are trying to tr do these um, these spells or these incantations and you're, you're calling up these things, um, to me, there's always that little bit of, one, am I saying it right? And two, what exactly am I calling on? And what am I calling on if I'm not saying it right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to have a oops moment because I called in the wrong thing. <laughs> I can so see that go wrong. <laughs> right, right. Where's my unicorn? Why did I get a devil dog instead? <laughs> right. I think I pronounced that wrong. Oh, no. Now, how do I undo it? <laughs> right. 
then the last book I found was the book of Honorius. And that was pretty much second only to the clavicle of Solomon or the key of Solomon in medieval times. So, I mean, it was an extremely popular book. And, um, you know, according to historians, there's no record of there being an actual person, you know, the actual person associated with writing the book, uh, Honorius. But the book gives instructions on receiving visions from God. Uh, yeah, I hard to hear. Okay. Is that better? A little bit, not much. Is that better? No. Ah, I'm so sorry. No. Okay, talk amongst yourself. We'll come back. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully at some point, I want to hear what this last book was because it's quite interesting. Um, so hopefully your audio kicks back in at some point. Um, let's see. I, I wanted to mention, we had talked about um, Gardner for a minute and the idea of him bringing in and, and the term Book of Shadows. Um, and his stuff there there was a group of people associated with um Gardner there's also uh Doreen Ballant um and you know she first discovered the term was borrowed from a, an article published in the occult observer in 1949 and it was about mm -hmm. some Sanskrit manual of the name that taught a person's uh destiny from the length of their shadow so then Gardner's book, which was originally titled Ye Book of Ye Art Magical, um, went through various stages of reproduction um, before his groundbreaking work of High Magic Aid was published in 1949. So then portions of High Magic's Aid were well, taken from his other book, Ye Book of Ye Art Magical. And when the witchcraft laws in England were repelled in 1951, High Magic's Aid became the first how-to magical book on witchcraft available to the general public in modern times. And so that's kind of how we get to the, so the push of having this new term of Book of Shadows out into the world. So it's interesting. You brought up, you brought up Doreen. Mm-hmm. Doreen. So um, in my research, um, when she was going through and reading um, Gardner's Book of Shadows, she actually found that he had plagiarized a lot of stuff from Aleister Crowley. Uh, I was just about to ask him about him. Mm -hmm. Yep. That, yeah, I was that like a lot of the stuff had been plagiarized by other people. So she just said, we can't release this. So it went through the revision while some, um, I can't remember what the poem was, but they decided to leave the poem in as is. What were you going to say but, Rose, about Alistair that, that, Oh, it's like anytime I've kind of like looked up witchcraft and everything like that, that's like one of the first names you find on Google. Like, cause it's always like, if you say witchcraft, that you find Wicca, of course, and it's like right. I'm not looking for Wicca, but it's like, oh, and then of course because I've seen um, that Good Omens, I'm like Crowley. It's like, oh, hey. <laughs> so I was just about to ask about that because he also had an influence on modern day um, mm -hmm. Wicca and the religion and everything like that, and helping forming it and everything like that. Yeah, there was heavy influence. You know, there Alistair with Crowley. Could Go ahead. I was going to say, Aleister Crowley could almost have an entire podcast just dedicated to himself because he yeah. was extremely groundbreaking in just his, you know, what he contributed. I mean, um, uh, Ozzy has an, an, an entire song about him, you know, Mr. Crowley. Um, and, and he's referring to Aleister Crowley. Uh, Led Zeppelin, I think the Beatles, they all contributed songs to Aleister Crowley. Um, so, I mean, he, he was very influential even in, you know, uh, you know, just the pop media, pop, you know, influences at, of the time. Yeah, he definitely could have a, a whole section all on himself because he, he did do a lot of work. He also did a lot of moving in and out of different 
magical circles and systems that were around in the day and collecting. He was very much a collector of um, many different types of magic, um, whether that was, you know, Egyptian, Greek, Roman, like he really studied and and went through and went through many um, different societies, magical societies, gathering and gaining um, and I think a few times got kicked out of several. Um, so, you know, he definitely could have a, a, a podcast all on his own, but yes, a lot of what he did ended up, um, getting, uh, being influenced, heavy influenced on, on, on Gardner and many of them and what ended up becoming, um, Wicca, which was, you know, the driving kind of force of, of witchcraft coming back into play um, before people were like, wait a minute, I think there's something more to this. There's spaces uh, missing well, and there's more to this than what Wicca is touching on. So, And then you had the branching out of, of witches just wanting to be witches. Right. Well, and an interesting fact, um, so Wicca, England, the, the, the UK, actually considers it the one the only religion that they have contributed and and given to the world because so many religions just or originated other places and you know gardner pulled heavily on you know traditional craft at the time but i always say you know he made it palatable for the masses by putting the restraints such as the wiccan read um you know he he, he kind of brought it in line with what would make it acceptable to other people. Um, and that is, and like I said, England considers it, you know, it's their contribution to the world. Right. Yeah. And you're right. He really did try to make it um, where society would accept it um, and be okay with mm-hmm. it, you know, with adding, you know, rules such as and harm none and, you know, you know making the, it a religion, make it an organized religion, putting exactly. rules and right. restrictions and. Right. And then I think, you know, as it's made its way through, it's done a lot of good in paving the way and opening the door um, for, for mm-hmm. witches to be able to start to come out of the broom closet. And then I think is, as, as, many witches have found, even if they started with Wicca, you know, they go inward and start discovering more and more truths for themselves and, and end up expanding beyond um, the rules or, or structure, we'll say, of Wicca. They want to find more because they feel there's more there right. to be discovered. So... And that's part of what we do, I feel like, is we want to find more. We want to know the more that's there to be discovered, not just accept what's handed to us. Um, We decide for ourselves if this feels right for us, if it doesn't feel right for us, and keep growing, keep pushing, keep discovering um, what feels feels right and true. And we encourage all of you to do that um, for yourself. You know, you don't just stop with what you're being told. Do what? So create your own magic. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I like that you say that because, you know, you're able to, you know, look at knowing the background behind Grimoire and Book of Shadows. You're able to look at it and go, well, if you're wanting to be a traditional and you want to go, you know, back as, you know, you want to be as traditional as possible, well, then maybe you're not going to use the term book of shadow. Maybe, and, and maybe you might not write anything down at all. Maybe you may, you might learn it, you know, and pass it on orally. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if, you know, you're into incorporating and bringing in and, you know, kind of making your own, it doesn't matter what you choose. You know, you, you can take the terms, you can leave the terms and really, you know, it's yours. You own it. Right. Oh, definitely. There are still several um, magical traditions that they do not write anything down. Uh, It is 100%. You have to be taught. You have to learn it. You learn through working with an individual and practice. Um, And you have to show 
you know, the person that's teaching you that you are putting in the work and the effort and the dedication, or you don't continue forward with learning because nothing is written down. There is no text to be given to you. Um, and they encourage you to not write stuff down, to keep it. Um, you know, we don't write this down. It is, it is something that we teach. Um, it has to be taught. Mm -hmm. So there is that aspect. Um, and then, you know, you have those who want to create a grimoire of their, their personal magic. So, um, you know, what do you, what are your guys' thoughts on the recording process itself? What do you guys think about writing things down versus not writing things down? Um, well, with me, there's a lot of things I don't write down. There's a lot of things, but it is good to write down things, especially if you've gotten to a point where you know it works. Right. And if you are in um, the mindset of writing it down and, you know, not wanting to hide who you are and what you are and, you know, pass it to your children or pass it to your family or then I'm all for writing it down, you know, keeping your book of shadows and putting whatever definition you want on that. If you are a witch and, um, you know, making that your private journal and whatnot and working your spells out, working your issues out, you know, and doing your grimoire and passing it on. If you're still in the broom closet and you're scared and you were afraid of what would happen if it got out, then don't write it down. <laughs> right. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's always an option. If you don't want it discovered, then don't leave it to be discovered. <laughs> don't write right. records. If you're not ready for the world to know you're a witch, don't write it down. Because <laughs> sooner or later, something like that will be found. Right. Right. Exactly. If, if, you're, if you're writing it down, then yes, at some point there is the potential that it could be discovered. So very true. Sister, what are your thoughts? Even, okay. So in the, uh, you know, leaving it, leaving your items around where they could be found. Um, yeah, I have firsthand experience on that. <laughs> um, so it, it's really funny because, you know, I had, while I didn't have a grimoire or a book of shadows, I had, you know, just my books in general. Um, and I kept it all in my closet. You know, it was my personal area, had a whole bookshelf. And when my ex or when my uh, when my current husband moved in with me, he told me he was going to clean out my closet because it was kind of a catch all. He was moving in and, you know, he needed room in there. And. <laughs> So I'm like, don't touch my closet. Don't go in there. Just leave it alone. That's my closet. And I came home from work and everything from my closet was in my bedroom floor where he was going through and organizing everything. And I kind of looked at him. I'm like, so we still together? <laughs> you still moving in? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, you never know. <laughs> right it came crashing out the closet door <laughs> but i i think you know where i stand on writing things down um because you get on to me all the time why aren't you recording your spells why aren't you doing that why aren't you journaling don't you well, ever write you any of your reading i want you to share your take on you know, what it is you record or don't record and why. And, and that, that way we have all different viewpoints here um, that are being shared and discussed. So I write nothing down. I write absolutely nothing down. I record nothing. Um, pretty much I do my spell work and I, I forget about it. Um, spells for me tend to be of need or necessity um, that are like we've talked about in, in previous uh, podcasts, you know, a general wish is all it takes. So right. I mean, 
to know that it works. I don't need it written down and recorded to know that it works because I can look at how far I've come from where I was. I have the proof, you know, all around me. Um, when it comes to, you know, oh, m maybe I want to do it again. Well, all of my spell work is intuitive. So if it came to me having to remember what I did, most of the time I remember, you know, I, you know, some, a lot of the spell work that sister you and I have done, you know, it may not 100% be exactly the same, but you know that my intentions, I, I feel like the doing of the work is the intentions, putting the intentions out there. So it's only a fraction of, you know, it's not as important to me as actually having the intention in and of itself. So right. Right. that and having your brain coming crashing out of the closet and, you know, it, it does make you a little weary about writing things down. And I mean, I, when it comes to teaching my kids, I think orally, you know, this is the way I do things, but once again, this is your path, make it your own. If you want to write down the stuff that, you know, I tell you or the stuff that you do, that's totally on them and they can follow their own path. That was my question as far as like you teaching your kids, you know, the fact that you don't write anything down and you plan to teach just, you know, based on word of mouth, keeping the old traditional way, <laughs> um, you know, you'll, you're, your plan is though to leave okay. it up to them, for them to decide if they want to write it down, if they want to make a grimoire, if they want to keep a book of shadows, or if they want to just learn that way and continue to teach that way. Right. And, and like I said, because all of my stuff is based on to intuition and where, you know, one spell worked, you know, in one instance, maybe it's not going to work in the next because the, the, the situation's different. There's different circumstances around why you're doing the magic. So I think right. the magic needs to shift. And I think, you know, sure. another, th I think something the way you had talked about the other day is so if it's written down, people tend to fall into this rigid, you know, it's got to be done that way. It doesn't leave any room for change or for it to evolve. And magic it, being fluid, I think that it should change and it should evolve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always leave room for the change. Just like you know, leaving space for the magic is leaving space for the, for the change, for the possibilities to happen. And I think that applies. Um, that's a really good point. I think it applies even to the spells, um, whether you're, you're using one that you, you know, have used before, or you found in a book or you found online or that somebody has given you, um, definitely making it your own, putting your own intention and, and following your own, you know, intuition and, and that inner knowledge within of, okay, I think I need to tweak this and I need to change this, or I want to substitute out, you know, this particular herb for this other herb. And for people to know that's okay to do, like, that's how it works. That's part of the magic is making it your own. Um, you don't have to follow the spell book right. um, word for word, the uh, ingredient for ingredient. And even the timing doesn't always have to be exact. You know, I always say um, the need overrides you know a, a moon phase or you know what have you if, if you've got a true need um do the magic i mean that's the most important thing is is do the magic don't wait for well i need to do this ritual on a sunday or i need to do this ritual in this moon phase or at this hour of the day or when this no. planet's in this phase now if you do get unfortunately if you oh. do get into that mindset unfortunately if you are doing a spell that you only believe that you are supposed to be doing on Sunday and you're doing it on a Monday, it's not going to work for you because you're going against your belief system. Right. So, and there, you know, that brings in the doubt because you're doubting your spell work because you're doing it on the wrong day. And that's why, you know, I've said before, cut the bullshit, do what you want. <laughs> there is no rules. Don't set rules for you because the moment you do, that sets your belief system and it makes it difficult to step outside of it. 
Yeah, actually, that's a, right. that's a great point, Rose. Absolutely. Totally agree. Like if you get it in your head that if you don't do this spell just so that it's not going to work, it won't. It won't because you've already implanted that seed into that spell. So it's really, you're right. So much about the mindset where I keep the mindset of need trumps all and do the magic. It will work. And I stay magically in See, that space. And I guess where I come at, you know, in, in my practice, I don't, I've never paid attention to moon phases. I've never paid attention to days of weeks. Colors don't really matter so much to me. It's, you know, and, and not having that rigid, you know, everything is assigned something. It really leaves you fluid to do anything you want any, anytime. Right. Um, you know, you've got using whatever. Yeah. Using whatever I have on hand, even if it's, you know, even if it's just my fingers, you know, sometimes th those are magical tools. Oh yeah. So, you know, put those to use. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. well, do what you want. <laughs> if protection is yellow instead of black, then go for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sister, I know you've uh, said several times before, I don't know if you've said it on a podcast, but you are very much um, old world traditional in your magic. And a lot of times you approach it as if I am a little old witch in a cottage in the middle of nowhere. And all I have, I'm a Scottish is, granny, <laughs> Scottish granny. And you know, all I have are a handful of candles and they are natural beeswax candles, let's say. And all I've got are the, the herbs that have survived thus far this winter on stock, you know, in hand. And, you know, I've got this, that, and the other, um, you know, you're kind of like, I'm going to take that and I'm going to make a spell out of it. Yep. So, Definitely. you know, at that point, colors and herbs and oils and all the, the plants and, you know, crystals and all the stuff for you falls out of play. Yeah. Oh, I've definitely. Said you many times, who says that's what that means? Right. Like, <laughs> like, really, who says that's what that means? Like, who says that's what that stands for? <laughs> Right. right. I mean, really, at the end of the day, I think they're all guidelines. And again, it goes back to what is your mindset? What do you what do you believe? I mean, if you truly believe that this particular herb has this magical property and therefore you're using it to boost your intention and to help support the energy of the spell work, then, yes, absolutely. That herb is going to do that for you. You know, but if you right. don't believe that that herb is necessary or that it's not going to do that for you, then it won't. So it really goes back to right. your and intention I and your desire and, and your belief and your and your mindset. Right. And going to the herbs, you know, I, I think that herbs are important. I mean, much of our modern medicine is based on, you know, the knowledge that we have of herbs and the benefits mm -hmm. that they have. Right. Uh, so uh, stones, I mean, they all have their properties. They all, you know, they all have their benefits. It's just when it comes to, I see them, I don't, I wouldn't say a booster, but just, you know, like an added, you know, if I have it, yeah, you know, I'll use it. If I don't have it, right. eh, no matter. The thing that I find fascinating about herbs, oils, and crystals I do want to mention this is that, you know, across time and cultures where these herbs have been found and these crystals have been found and these, these oils and things have been found, they were used for the common purpose across, you know, all these cultures that at the time had no way of being able to communicate with each other. They had no way right. to, to call up from, you know, this country, you know, all the way thousands or hundreds of thousands of miles over to another country and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to use this amethyst for this. Is that what you're getting on that? Like, is that what you're feeling on that? Like, 
they had no way of communicating these things. But yet what, what historians have found is that they used the, the crystals, the herbs and the oils, they use them all in the same manner. They use them all for the same thing. So there's inherent properties that have been discovered across all these different cultures that this works. You know, this is why they are using these particular items because they work. And to me, that helps me just put that extra bit of belief into the different items. And yes, it helps lend in my mind alone anyway, the energy and the benefit of using them. But does that mean if I don't have them on hand that I'm not going to do my spell work? No, I'm still going to do my spell work. <laughs> I'm going to do right. what needs to be done. I'm going to, again, if I have a need to do magic, I'm going to do the magic and I'm going to stand firm in the fact that I know my magic is going to work regardless. But yeah, I think it's fascinating if you study these things and you go back and you look at the history, the commonality where there was no way for them to have communicated the, the common properties of which they were using these things for. So there, I definitely think there's um, a lot of truth in it. But at the end of the day, you got to decide what feels right for you. Um, and you got to do what's right for you. So Right. And that's not saying that I, I haven't used them. I have a hagstone hanging on all the entrances to my home, you know, to protect my house. Um, you know, in, in times like when I was going through my divorce, I carried black obsidian. I carried a snowflake obsidian. I, you know, I carried different stones for protection. Um, so, you know, I, I've definitely used them. Yeah. No, but, the question there is, do these stones protect on their own or do they protect because you believe they do because you were told they do? Wow, and that's a good question. I, I think going back to the historian side, knowing that all of these things were done throughout history and the commonality was found, I think that really does lend to the credibility um, behind them. But at the end of the day, I think it, it's personal belief. And, you know, if you look at a rock or a stone or what have you and say, there's nothing there, then to <sighs> you, there is nothing there. Oh, does that kill you? Yes, that kills me. <laughs> <laughs> you broke my heart just a little bit. <laughs> But really, I, you know, I'm curious, like, really, it's, you know, you, so, you go over and for, say, like with me, I walked into a metaphysical shop, you know, for the first time and selecting rocks. And they tell me, well, this is how you do it. You put this hand over it because this is your receiving hand. Well, maybe it's not my receiving hand. Maybe mine the other one. You know, maybe I did this wrong. But you get told how to do this. So you go along and right. do, 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 do and like, oh, well, did I feel a little something there or did I want to feel something there because I'm running my hands over these stones and I'm feeling kind of like an idiot. <laughs> so, you know, you go along and you pick these stones and then you don't know what they are. You don't know what the meanings are and you've got them in your hands and then you look them up and then it's like, yeah, of course I need protection. Who doesn't need protection? Well, yeah, of course I need self-love. Who doesn't need self-love? You know, oh, this brings a little calm in your life. So, I mean, was it the luck of the draw or, <laughs> you know? Right. I had a lot of um, rhodonite come into my life at one point. And it was like, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I need this right now. Because every right. stone I was picking up, it was that type. So, <laughs> Yeah, so um, if anybody is interested in the crystals, there is a podcast episode called, um, I think it's called The Crystal Workshop that I did, um, and it gives you a lot of information on crystals, their crystal structure, how the crystals, particular crystals based on their crystalline structure, work with energy, hold energy, transmute energy, um, yeah, um, send and receive energy. And so there, there really is a science behind it as well, um, which is why I'm so passionate about it. Um, but yeah, I think for me personally, I think 
based on the scientific structure of the the stone itself and how it works with energy i think there definitely is something very real to the stones again if somebody believes it's just a rock and there's nothing it can do for you then that's what you're going to create for yourself you're you know? right. and you are free to believe that by all means like i am not going to waste time arguing with somebody that doesn't want to believe a crystal helps because i know they help me and i'll just say okay that's your, that's your belief. That's totally fine. And I will go on about my day. Um, you know, but for me, they're very real and they do work. And when you work with them and ask them, you know, once you find out, okay, what does, what can this stone do, right? Like what's been documented that this stone can do. And then you ask and set that intention with that stone to help you work with the work with you. Um, yeah, like it will help you. Um, you know, when I was going through my divorce, my sister gave me a snowflake obsidian and I kept it on me all the time and did not notice until one day after months of keeping this thing in my pocket with nothing else by itself, all alone in my pocket every single day, she asked to see the stone. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. So I pulled it out of my pocket and it was pitted. It looked like so somebody had taken, you know, just like an ice pick to it and just chipped and chipped and chipped and chipped and chipped away at it. It was pitted all almost to pieces. Um, and it was taking hit after hit after hit after hit for me. Um, I, I believe that to be true. I believe I got out of and away from a lot of really crappy things that could have gone on because that stone stayed with me and was taking the hit. And I've not seen, I've not seen a stone act like that before. I really haven't. Um, the, the amount of work that it did for me and it, and oh, I, I thanked it. Oh, I very much so thanked it for the work that it did and how hard it worked for me. Um, because I do appreciate, you know, all the protection that it was giving me. Um, but like I said, it was alone in my pocket. It's not like there was something else in there knocking it. You know, I didn't have a, um, a clear quartz or a, a diamond or a Herkimer diamond or something harder than it. In you know, there was nothing else in there that could have been knocking and causing these pits. So, I mean, and I, I could go on and on and on. You guys know I love crystals. So I could go on and on with stories about crystals. But if somebody chooses to well, believe think- that they do nothing, that you have every right to believe that. You know, absolutely. I think that when it comes to that stone, I think it should be noted that that was the same rock that I carried. That was the same stone that I had carried through my divorce. And I carried it in my pocket with other stones. And, you know, I, I had had it for, I don't know, over 10 years, probably 13 years before I gave it to you. And it was in mint condition. So... It was in mint condition when I gave that stone to you. And that's why when you pulled it out of your pocket and I saw how damaged it was, I was, what'd you do? What the heck? I I think this belongs to you now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I didn't do it. I mean, I guess I did it, but I didn't do it. The stone worked very hard for me. Right. I didn't realize you had had it that long and that you had used it for like the same purpose and you had other rocks in there with it, but it never took on any of that kind of damage. Mm -hmm. I was going to say there uh -uh. is a belief that um, if you wear a stone for a particular reason, which a lot of people will wear stones for protection and whatnot, um, that there's a belief that when they break, they finally serve their purpose or they've, You know, they took a really big hit and saved you from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in that situation, um, I think it's best to thank it and bless it and return it to the earth. Right. Um, And and give it like a a little burial ceremony and really thank it. Um, At least that's what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your service. (laughs) Yes. You are very loved and appreciated. You will not be forgotten. Um, and obviously this one was not because here we are talking about it again. So he will never be forgotten. He is much appreciated. All right, you guys. So any last thoughts on Grimoire Books and Shadows? I have a couple other things I wanted to, some my personal thoughts, but did you guys have anything else to add? No, let's hear your personal thoughts. Okay. 
So, um, I, of course, am an advocate for writing everything down. <laughs> it's very important to me. Um, I like to think of a grimoire as, like we said before, a textbook of magical knowledge and information. Um, and I do plan on, and I, I am actually working on, um, building my grimoire, which I will pass down to uh, my daughter. And I want it to have things like correspondences, um, general knowledge, um, whether that be the directions, the elements, the moon phases, um, you know, things on numbers, colors, uh, candle magic, uh, just lots of the, the general basic information, right? And some of the, the most important stones and crystals to me, because there are textbooks upon textbooks of herbs and crystals and oils, and it can go on and on and on. But the ones that mean the most to me that I use the most, I would want in there um, for her to have, um, as well as spells that I have done that I know work, um, that I have tested and tried out and they have been successful for me. I would want those, um, in my grimoire for her to be passed down. Um, however, I do also believe in keeping a book of shadows being that it is just that your, your book of shadows, where it is your working magical journal. Um, it's you working through your shadows. It's you working through your spell work. It's you taking, essentially the scientific method and applying it to your spell work of, you know, I did this on this day at this time, this moon phase, I used these uh, ingredients. This was the intention. These were the tools um, and really recording everything. And then also going up, going behind that and following up with what were the results and can I tweak mm -hmm. this? Well? Can I change ingredients? Should I change the intention? Could I change the timing? Um, and, you know, behind that with the intention piece is where I put my personal, my personal feelings and my personal thoughts and intention into it. So I know what I'm doing. Um, but then once I have found a spell that works, then I transfer just the spell, not all the inner and outer workings of it, um, to my grimoire along with basic information of what this spell is used for so that she would know when or when not to use this spell. And then going back to that teaching and that knowledge piece and, and word of mouth, you know, going through and saying, okay, this particular spell is used in this situation with this intention. However, if you need to tweak it, change it, please do so and record it and have her record it in her book of shadows. So then she might even come up with a spell that I have in my grammar by take, taking it, changing it, tweaking it, come up with her own spell that she then wants to add to our grimoire and keep building upon. So um, that's kind of how I look at the two. So my grimoire is something that I want to build of the textbook, the knowledge that can be passed down and added to. But my book of shadows is all my inner workings of, of me and myself and my, my spiritual and magical involvement and growth. Um, my magical workings, um, even my card reading, I, I want to put in there and I record and, and follow up on and um, all of my successes, all of my magical failures that need to be tweaked and tried again. Um, but no, I think at the end of the day, my book of shadows is something that I would probably want burned. Um, <laughs> when I am no longer around, my book of shadows need not be found. Right. So, what about if it's buried with you? I'd be okay with that. <laughs> it could be buried or, or cremated with me, either one. I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, no, I would not want that to, to be discovered because it is, it's your inner workings. Um, and not that there's anything, you know, to be ashamed of. There's just some things that maybe I don't want my kid knowing what I went through. <laughs> I'm giving her all the tools she needs in her grimoire. She don't have to know all the down and dirties of why some things came to be, sort of say. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so that's my take on it. So I am a huge advocate of journaling and keeping a book of shadows and also work on building your grimoire. 
and make it fun. Keep it magical. Keep it light. Let it be something you want to do. Let it be the right. follow-up piece of your magic. Um, it doesn't have to be a tedious chore. Um, I enjoy doing a good spell work and following it up with a reading and then journaling on, you know, what I did, recording my spell, what my reading said would come about from the spell and then seeing what happens. And then I come back with the follow-up of, okay, this took a day or it took a week or it took a month. Uh, it took years, but here we are. I got the results. So that is my final thoughts. <laughs> I hope that we have given everybody something to think about. Definitely make it your own and do what feels right for you. Whether that be right. keeping it all word of mouth, having a grimoire, not having one, book of shadows or not. Totally up to you. Passing it on, keeping it to yourself. Right. All Turn right. it into a color book, whatever you want. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because yeah, anymore, there are like so many things out there, you know, so many different grimoires and spell books and, um, you know, all those things are out there. I think they're a great starting point. You know, it's something that if you're interested in kind of getting a feel for, okay, what is this all about? What does a grimoire look like? What does a spell book look like? And trying to just give yourself some idea or structure. Sure. Go out there, discover, you know, check some stuff out, see what feels right to you. See if you like what you're finding or not. And then make your own out of it, for sure. Right. Play around with templates it. out there. Yeah, I'm, I mean, my you can go, you can make a, a scrapbooking's your thing. Make it a scrapbook. There's nothing Ooh. that says you can't do that. Like quilting, so. do quilting. <laughs> that would be cool, actually. <laughs> right. Have a quilted uh, grimoire. That would be pretty freaking cool. <laughs> Uh-oh, uh, light bulb going off. <laughs> I can see the wheel a-turning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you've got me thinking because it has pretty a cool idea, actually. I'm totally over here spinning my wheels. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I kind of like it. All right, you guys. I think that's it for us, unless anybody else wants to add anything. No. No. So where, where can people find us? Oh yeah. Fun <laughs> stuff. All right, you guys. Um, so don't forget, we appreciate it. If you like, follow and share, we are on Facebook, the witch source. You can get in the Facebook group, which is a great place to be the witch source society. It's a great place to find community, ask questions, get support. We are in there. We do read your questions, your comments. Um, and we love to offer advice, help support on anything you might need. Uh, we're also on YouTube. So if you can subscribe there, you can find when we go live, you can find spells on there. You can find podcast episodes, lots of good things. Um, we would love it if you would subscribe there. We're on Instagram. We're also on Pinterest. Uh, you can check us out and shop the witchy wares and magical supplies on thewitchsource.com. You can also get uh, readings there and check out what we have to offer. And let's see. The podcast, of course, if you're listening, wherever you're listening right now, make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like it, please leave us a review. And if you could, we would love it if you would share, um, especially if you think somebody would enjoy it as well. Uh, I think that covers everything. Did I miss anything? I think you got it all. All right. Good. Thanks all right, you guys. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we hope that you have a fabulous rest of your week and that you stay magical. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.